Atlanta's number one radio stations. Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6. Radio stations has you covered. From our studios to our newsroom at KLP Entertainment. Listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcast, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube and more. Coming after you. What is that? Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, ready PG 13. Everybody hates the taking off and putting on your shoes nightmare at the airport. But now, there's an easier way. New hands-free Skechers Slip-Ins. With new Skechers Slip-Ins, you just step in and go. Without bending down or looking for a place to sit. Try new machine-washable hands-free Skechers Slip-Ins. These caramel cold brew M&M's are like M&M's with a coffee shop vibe. Maybe too much of a coffee shop vibe. Mm. This next one is about the importance of friendship, so I'm going to maintain eye contact while I sing it. Oh, boy. Live from our newsrooms brings back our hit news network, SNN, with many news anchors like Arthur Brooks, Addison Hayden, and Beatrix Gemma. Brings you stories about the news worldwide. Tune in on Atlanta's number one stations, Swanky 93.3 and The Heat 94.6 radio stations. To get the latest news today, listen on all major audio platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audacity, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Google Podcast, YouTube, and more. stars on the red carpet, prestige titles like the Leonard Bernstein biopic Maestro and the Elvis Presley tale Priscilla may not get the push they need. With summer movie season at its midpoint, Hollywood typically begins to turn its gaze toward the fall, when a trio of major film festivals acts as the unofficial kickoff to Oscar season. Seven of the last ten Best Picture winners had their debuts at a fall festival, coming out of the gate with standing ovations and critical acclaim that helped propel them through the months-long award show Gantlet Dot but now that SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America are both on strike, could a protracted battle between the unions and the studios cause those fall launchpads to fizzle? The first event that will probably be affected is the Venice Film Festival, which begins its 80th edition on August 30th with the premiere of the sexy tennis comedy Challengers, starring Zendaya. Venice has lately rivaled Cannes for glamour and headlines, so the loss of famous actors would be a big blow. Nearly all the major moments at Venice last year were star-driven, from the viral clip of Brendan Fraser crying after the premiere of The Whale to the social media scrutiny of Harry Styles and Chris Pine as they appeared to clash while promoting Don't Worry Darling. Though if there had been a strike, Florence Pugh, the star, would have had a better excuse for infamously skipping that film's news conference, the festival will announce its full lineup on July 25th, and Buzz suggests it could include highly anticipated films like Bradley Cooper's Leonard Bernstein biopic, Maestro, Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, 
about the relationship between Elvis Presley and his wife, Priscilla, and The Killer, a David Fincher thriller starring Michael Fassbender and Tilda Swinton. Those auteurs are at least famous enough to pick up some of the promotional slack, though Cooper might be in a bind as both the director and star of Maestro, since any press he does could be seen as flouting SAG's prohibition. The Telluride Film Festival, which runs September 1st to 4th and shot to the spotlight the likes of Lady Bird and Moonlight, should be less stricken by the absence of stars, that intimate Colorado gathering is a favorite of famous attendees because they're not required to do photo ops or media blitzes and can instead mill around like regular people. But the Toronto International Film Festival, beginning September 7, is a heady 10-day affair filled with red carpets, portrait studios and press junkets that will all shrink significantly if actors are forbidden to attend. Canadian businesses are already bracing for a hit to their bottom line if the festival contracts. Organizers issued a statement of concern last week, the impact of this strike on the industry and events like ours cannot be denied. We will continue planning for this year's festival with the hope of a swift resolution in the coming weeks. There is a workaround for actors to attend festivals, but it's a slim one, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, the SAG after negotiator, has said that truly independent films able to secure interim agreements with the Guild could have their stars do media duties. Still, that's a proviso more likely to spare the indie focus. The SAG after negotiator, has said that truly independent films able to secure interim agreements with the Guild could have their stars do media duties. Still, that's a proviso more likely to spare the indie-focused Sundance Film Festival in January rather than fall festivals, where the biggest titles tend to hail from major studios. And if the SAG strike continues into January, it will be more than just festivals that feel the pinch. A months-long strike would hit the awards season ecosystem with its toughest tests since COVID if stars can't attend ceremonies, could the events be held at all? At least when these things were on Zoom, the nominated stars showed up, post-pandemic, prestige films need all the help they can get at the box office. If they can't be sustained by awards chatter and media-happy movie stars, studios could opt to move some more vulnerable year-end titles to 2024. That could provide an awards season advantage to streamers like Netflix, which don't have to factor the box office into decisions on what to debut or delay and movies that have already had a big cultural moment, like A24's Past Lives, an arthouse hit from June, or Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which will be released by Apple in October but received a major premiere at Ken in May, will be better positioned to thrive this awards season than films that may not have full-fledged press tours. The box office into decisions on what to debut or delay. And movies that have already had a big cultural moment, like A24's Past Lives, an arthouse hit from June, or Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which will be released by Apple in October but received a major premiere at Ken in May, will be better positioned to thrive this awards season than films that may not have full-fledged press tours. Will an agreement in this their battle be reached in time to save awards season? Even if both sides can compromise before the televised ceremonies begin, one change is likely to still be felt, don't expect the usual list of studio executives to be quite so effusively thanked and acceptance
15 hours after she was taken out of an ambulance at Queen's Hospital with chest pains and pneumonia, Marion Patton was still in the emergency room, waiting for a bed and a ward. Mrs. Patton, 78, was luckier than others who arrived at this teeming hospital, east of London, she had not yet been wheeled into a hallway for months, doctors at Queen's have been forced to treat people in a corridor because of a lack of space. As the ambulances kept pulling up outside, the doctor supervising the ER, Daryl Wood, said it was only a matter of time before nurses would begin diverting patients into the overflow space again. We're in that mode every day now because the NHS doesn't have the capacity to deal with all the patients, Dr. Wood said despite her ordeal, Mrs. Patton was sympathetic. Decades ago, she said, the National Health Service saved her husband's life when he had a heart attack. It's got to cope with a lot more people, she said. You can't be grumpy about it. Her stoicism captures the reverence that Britons have for their cradle-to-grave health system, but also their rueful sense that it is broken. As it turns 75 this month, the NHS, a proud symbol of Britain's welfare state, is in the deepest crisis of its history, flooded by aging, enfeebled patients, starved of investment in equipment and facilities, and understaffed by doctors and nurses, many of whom are so burned out that they are either joining strikes or leaving for jobs abroad. Interviews over three months with doctors, nurses, patients, hospital administrators and medical analysts depict a system so profoundly troubled that some experts warn that the health service is at risk of collapse. Doctors and nurses face an endless stream of patients filling beds, said Matthew Trainer, the chief executive of the NHS Trust that runs Queen's and another nearby hospital, the King George. For the clinical staff, that removes a sense of hope, that sense that what you're doing matters. More than 7.4 million people in England are waiting for medical procedures, everything from hip replacements to cancer surgery. That is up from 4.1 million before the coronavirus pandemic began in 2020. Mortality data, exacerbated by long wait times, paints a bleak picture. In 2022, the number of excess deaths rose to one of the highest levels in the last 50 years, and those numbers have kept rising, even as the pandemic has ebbed in the first quarter of 2023, more than half of excess deaths, that is, deaths above the five-year average mortality rate, before the pandemic, were caused by something other than COVID-19. Cardiovascular-related fatalities, which can be linked to delays in treatment, were up particularly sharply, according to Stuart MacDonald, an expert on mortality data at LCP, a London-based pension and investment advisory firm. Proliferating labor unrest only adds to the crisis, throwing hospitals that were already barely coping into near paralysis. While Mrs. Patton waited for a bed at Queen's, doctors were picketing outside, protesting starting wages that are comparable to those earned by baristas working at Pret-a-Manger, a sandwich chain in the hospital's lobby. Waited for a bed at Queen's, doctors were picketing outside, protesting starting wages that are comparable to those earned by baristas working at Pret-a-Manger, a sandwich chain in the hospital's lobby, seeking to solve the problem, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak last month announced a 15-year plan to recruit and train 300,000 nurses and doctors, budgeting £2.4 billion, about $3 billion, 
for the first five years. But critics point out that the plan does not fund wage increases, the only surefire way to prevent workers from leaving the fate of the NHS matters beyond Britain. Rising health care costs are bleeding public finances in almost every country, regardless of their political systems. The NHS has always managed to deliver a level of care that justified its giant footprint in British public life, and it is hard to imagine a vibrant Britain if the service is not stabilized. Politically, however, Britain's fiscal austerity exacerbated the system's failings. COVID exposed a legion of problems, including poor management and corroded facilities, that had been incubating inside the service since Conservative-led governments began curbing budget increases in 2010. Including poor management and corroded facilities, that had been incubating inside the service since Conservative-led governments began curbing budget increases in 2010. Healthcare spending rose by an average of less than 2% a year from 2010 to 2019, compared with 5.1% from 1998 to 2008. Britain spent less a year per person on healthcare than the wealthiest European Union countries during the decade of austerity, and now has fewer doctors and hospital beds per capita than its European neighbors. Its capital investment lagged the bloc's average by $41 billion, according to the Health Foundation, which tracks the industry. That has led to horror stories like doctors in a hospital outside London discovering dirty water from a leaky pipe in the ceiling dripping onto a circuit board that controls high-tech surgical equipment. Austerity has made matters a lot worse, said Nigel Edwards, the chief executive of Nuffield Trust, a health research organization. There's been lots of salami slice savings over the years, which has made the system much more fragile. Of salami slice savings over the years, which has made the system much more fragile. No mainstream politician proposes to privatize the NHS, the specter of the inequitable U.S. health system still horrifies many Britons. And in some ways, the service remains a marvel, one of the world's most comprehensive, taxpayer-funded health care providers, free at the point of delivery, in the words of its utopian motto. It still offers annual physical exams, mammograms, vaccinations, and other services at a level that visiting Americans find impressive indeed, jaundiced observers say the NHS is perpetually in crisis. But this time, the problems are of a different order, magnified by Britain's faltering economy and its convulsive, post-Brexit politics. Experts say its model of universal access has become unsustainable, and there is no clear blueprint to reinvent it. For a decade, the Chinese leadership made no secret of their intention to unify Taiwan by force, if necessary. The differences in the past they've never had the capacity to actually carry it out. We heard that 2027-2025 could be the time that Taiwan could possibly face the invasion from China, and these kinds of warnings are really making Taipei officials more and more uneasy.
Chinese President Xi Jinping has made unifying Taiwan with the mainland a key part of what he calls the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. 2027 is the year Xi Jinping could secure his fourth term in power, and is also when he aims to build a world-class military force. Beijing has rejected speculation it's moved up any timeline for invasion. Fan Jinzhiren, Mo Lu Xiongli, Liang Tongbao Shi Yijiaren. We and some U.S. officials said the 2027 prediction is guesswork. But in Taiwan, the government has picked up the pace of strengthening its defenses. My understanding is that 2027 represents a capability shift in the sense that this is the year that the CCP may feel that they have the requisite levels of confidence to engage in such military action. Chinese capabilities have increased enormously over past years, so it's clear at this point that Taiwan cannot keep up in terms of spending the same amount of money that the Chinese are able to put in uh, the PLAs. There has been a transition here in Taiwan over past years to this idea of asymmetric defense. Asymmetric meaning that we're going to have defense capabilities that are mobile, that are survivable, that are nimble, and that are able to utilize our unique geographical advantages. We engage in politically difficult reforms of our reserves that have changed from 4 months to 12 months in terms of the conscription time. If a conflict scenario were to break out, local governments are actually extremely important. As we look at what's happening in Ukraine, I would say that local governments play an enormous role, not only in organizing defense locally, but also to ensure that we have volunteers for police and other public safety duties. One of the big issues here in Taiwan is that many people just don't know what to do if um, a worst-case scenario were to break out. How prepared is Taiwan for uh, increased pressure, at least, if not a war with China? Well, they're not prepared enough. I was in Taiwan last year, just before Speaker Pelosi's visit. As China's military strength and aggression towards Taiwan grows, the U.S. is increasingly concerned about the island's security. According to assessments leaked earlier this year, the Pentagon is especially worried about Taiwan's air defense capabilities. Chinese state-run media, such as CCTV, have run animations showing the Chinese PLA overwhelming Taiwan's defenses using airstrikes and missiles. But how realistic is an attack? China may have a strong military, but it's still an enormous gamble for it to engage in any kind of hot conflict over Taiwan. The US has signaled that it would be willing to step in and defend Taiwan, even though there is no formal defense treaty between Taiwan and the US, but only if China were to attack Taiwan unprovoked. For China, the best case scenario would be to issue a warning that's credible enough to induce Taiwan to capitulate without China ever having to fire a single shot. We have been living with uh, neighbors like this for decades. We are threatened every day. But the most challenge is information warfare. In uh, 2022 alone, Chinese fighter jets flew over into the ADIZ more than 1,700 times. The government departments were attacked by hacker 5.9 million times per day. We've seen a massive amount of disinformation released to play up China's military strengths, undermine Taiwan and create divisions among Taiwanese people, and demoralize its army. 
But if China amplifies military threats, it risks driving away Taiwanese investments, which is really critical for the Chinese economy, particularly in the technology sector. With just around 24 million people, Taiwan has an economy that's close to the world's top 20. It is home to some of the world's leading semiconductor companies, such as TSMC, which produces over 60% of the world's semiconductors used in everything from smartphones to computers and EVs. Predictions of future conflict have hurt Taiwan, as foreign investors began to pull back. But they've also hurt China. Taiwan is one of the mainland's biggest investors, and the companies have been looking elsewhere. New Taiwanese investment in China shrank by about 10% in the first quarter of 2023. By contrast, overseas investment excluding China climbed to 240% to 6.9 billion US dollars. We've also seen Wang Huning, China's number four top official, say that China still welcomes investment from Taiwan and it wants to better integrate Taiwanese companies into the Chinese economy. But there's already a shift in mood, not just reflected on the economic front, but also in the emergence of civil society schemes that are aimed at preparing Taiwan for potential military scenarios. We can never speak for China to tell you how will it happen and when will it happen. But we have been prepared for the worst. It's a whole life homework to do. Preparedness and education for the generation who never experienced a war. We're doing everything we can to avoid conflict by ensuring that we have the necessary defense capabilities by ensuring we have international support. All of this is designed to forestall a 2027 scenario and push it back for years to come and perhaps indefinitely.